0: Okay, so where we left off last time, as far as I remember, we covered uh, Naritam's birth, his first grain ceremony, where he refused to take his sweet rice because it wasn't offered, and then we went into his little toddler pastimes, where he tried to go out to the Padmavati River, and his father got very upset. <laughs> Told him he would bring the Padmavati into the palace, and they can go to have a swimming pool. <laughs> um, but he's not allowed to go to the river. And then he started uh, hearing Chaitanya's pastimes from visiting sadhus and devotees that were passing through on the way to and from Jagannath Puri. So I think we're right up to about there, right? He's hearing some pastimes from the Lord Tanya you, you want to screen share our <laughs> be Okay, youth. Narayani sat down next to her husband, her face tense with worry. Prabhu, I'm concerned about Narata. He's become indifferent to everything. His mind isn't on his studies anymore and he shows no interest in village affairs. He doesn't even enjoy playing with other children. He seems interested only in hearing Krishnadasa's stories and doing puja. Narayani wrung her hands in despair and looked at her husband for his advice. She added, it's fortunate he has such strong spiritual inclinations. But too much detachment is unnatural and unhealthy for a boy that age, and especially for the son of a king. What will become of him? Krishnananda furrowed his brow. What you say is true. I don't know what to do with him either, he said, shaking his head. He is no longer a child. He has to start thinking of his future responsibilities. But he seems overly detached from everything worldly. I'm getting old. It won't be long, before i He'll have to relieve me of my duties." He sighed. It is good. He's a religious boy, but he seems too carried away by it all. We are kyastas, and we must manage the affairs of our village and collect taxes. Naratam too will have this responsibility. He's our only son. He's getting too old to behave as if he were a son. Krishnananda sat silently, lost in thought. Finally, he turned to Narayani and announced, I think I know what we can do. Let's arrange Naratam's marriage. That will ground him and wake him up to his responsibilities. Narayani agreed. Confident they had found the solution, she and Krishnananda began to search for a suitable bride. Naratam lay on his bed, staring into the darkness of night, his mind spinning, I can't bear to hear another word about poverty, management, or collecting taxes. I have absolutely no interest in those things. I just want to dedicate my life fully to the service of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He sighed deeply. I want so much to be in Vrindavan. I desperately want to meet the personal associates of Mahaprabhu still living there, Shri Rupa, Sanata, Raghunath Das. Many of them are very old how much longer can they remain in this world? I have to get there before it's too late. Nartam lay awake with these thoughts for a long time. Finally, he decided, I see no other alternative. I have to leave home. Late into the night, as sleep overtook him, Nartam had a startling vision. Sri Nityanandapuru appeared before him. The Lord's face was more beautiful than millions upon millions of moons. He had a tall, strong, heroic stature. His hands, arms, and legs were beautifully formed, and his eyes resembled lotus flowers. He wore golden earrings, armlets, and bangles. Smiling, he told Narada, Go at once to the Padmavati River to bathe. Padmavati Devi has been keeping a gift for you, and she will deliver it to you when you come. She has been waiting for you." Then the Lord disappeared. Narutam woke with a start. Astonished and overcome with transcendental ecstasy, he jumped out of bed. He had to get out of the palace and down to the Padmavati immediately. Afraid he might be seen by one of the ever-protective household servants, Nartam decided to climb out the window. He stacked the furniture under a small window high on the wall. Scaling it, he then squeezed through and pulled himself out onto the roof. As silently as possible, he slid down the eaves and dropped quietly to the ground. By the arrangement of providence, the sun had not yet risen and there were no guards in sight. Narutam rushed towards the Padmakti River, softly chanting the holy name all the way. When he reached the bank, he bowed down in the moist earth and then stepped into the shallows, calling out the name of Baranga. The cool, dark water swirled around his legs and immediately began to rise higher and higher. Within moments, the river's waves surged over the banks and onto the land. Narutam suddenly saw the goddess Padmavati Devi standing before him. Shocked, he stared at her with wide eyes. Padmavati Devi smiled warmly at him. Before you were born, she said. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left his divine love in my care and instructed me to give it to a boy named Narita, whose touch would make my waters rise in the same way they did when Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself came here. Clearly, you are the rightful recipient of this most extraordinary gift. I have been waiting for a very long time for your visit. Now, please take this topmost treasure, Saying this, Padmavati Devi moved towards Nartham with outstretched hands, holding what appeared to be a radiant golden lotus flower. This is a little fun fact on the side. My first ever drama, at least that I remember, first appearance on stage was this, and I was Padmavati Devi, I think I was about three or something. And (laughs) I had a little metal cup in my hand to hold. Uh, Mahaprabhu was loving it to give to Narata. and I remember the enormous strange fright but that was the beginning of my on-stage career
1: that's so cool
0: <laughs> without warning the goddess Padmavati disappeared and Narada was astonished to see the golden lotus transform into a luminous golden covered boy this exquisite form which was none other than Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself danced towards him and entered into his body. Nartun felt Mahaprabhu's essence engulf him. Powerless in the grip of the Lord's ecstasy he shouted, "Goranga, Goranga!" As the Lord's love infused his every limb, Nartun's swarthy complexion lightened, transforming his skin into a beautiful golden color. His skin also slackened, and he shivered and trembled uncontrollably. The current of divine love that coursed through his body was so intense that Nartam couldn't contain his emotions. Staggering out of the water, he laughed, cried, sang, and danced furiously on the banks of the Padmavati, lost in the ecstasy of love and oblivious to everything around him. Narutam was abruptly brought back to external consciousness when he heard his father's frantic shouts. Naru, Naru, where are you? Look, there's someone over there. It doesn't look like Narutam. Oh, my dear Lord, what has happened to my son? Sitting in the pre dawn darkness, Narutam saw a large crowd of people rushing towards him with torches. To his surprise, he heard his mother's hysterical voice. It is Naru. Can't you recognize your own son? Look, he's wearing Naru's ornaments. Narayani ran to where Nartam stood and kissed his face again and again. Naru, Naru, she cried. Why did you sneak off like this? Why didn't you tell us where you were going? We were so frightened when we found your room empty. We searched everywhere for you. I was frantic. Taking Nartam's face in her hands, she looked at him in bewilderment. What has happened to you? Why do you look so strange? What happened to your skin? Her voice shook. Are you all right? I'm, I'm fine, Narta managed to stutter as he tried to compose himself. But thoughts of Lord Chaitanya again surged in his heart and he pulled away from his mother yelling, go Ranga, go Ranga. Tears of ecstasy streamed from his eyes and he danced around the crowd of confused relatives and friends. Krishnananda gaped at his son in disbelief. What is this bizarre behavior? He cried. It's like he's possessed by a ghost. I have heard a terrible Brahma Rakshasa lives in that tamarind tree over there. Perhaps he has entered Nara's body. This is horrible. Quickly, let's get him home. Bewildered and frightened, Krishnananda grabbed hold of Narita. Narayani pleaded with her son, Stop this, Narita. Please come home with us now. With great difficulty, they managed to get their son home and into his bed. Realizing the anxiety he was causing, Narutama tried to calm himself. But the golden lord he had seen at the Padmantti appeared within his mind and he again became wild. Thrashing about on the bed and with tears shooting from his eyes, he called Goranga, Goranga. Suddenly his mood changed and he began to laugh loudly. Several times he tried to jump from the bed but Krishnananda forcibly held him down. All the while, Narayani was frantically fanning him to cool him down. Concerned relatives and friends stood around Naratan's bed, all of them helpless and perplexed as the boy repeated over and over, that boy, golden, my body, enter. Not knowing what else to do, Krishnananda ordered one of the servants, bring a tantric to help cure my boy. An exorcist soon arrived and began chanting mantras and waving peacock feathers in front of the boy's face. Naratam, however, continued to flail his arms and legs and mumble incoherently about a golden boy. Finally, the exorcist turned to Krishnananda and said, don't worry, it's not a ghost in your son's body. What do you mean, Krishnananda de- demanded, just look at him, he must be possessed. No, the exorcist said, he's simply suffering from an imbalance of air. I suggest you rub jackal oil on his stomach to cure him. Saying this, the tantric left. Eventually, Narottam stopped thrashing and exhausted fell asleep. Krishnananda and Narayani sat next to his bed, utterly confused. Narayani sobbed miserably. My child, my dear son, please, please be your sweet, normal self. Paul, you wanna read?
1: Sure. I, I was just wondering what jackal oil is. Do you have any insight on this?
0: Um, I don't actually. <laughs> I was wondering that as I read it.
1: I wonder. I I was trying to read it like in an Indian accent, like jackal or something. Jackal.
0: <laughs> I yeah, I
1: don't know.
0: I've never heard of that before. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask my mom where she got that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I had so many thoughts of things I wanted to say, but um, maybe I'll just focus on one of them. I really like this point. We hear about it in um, Krishna's rasalila as well, how the gopis, they were stuck at home and they weren't able to leave. And I think one of the Acharya's com- comments, how you need this eagerness in Krishna consciousness, to obtain Krishna, right so we mm-hmm. can see Nartam he playing sort of a disagreeable character where he was like i'm not interested in taxes i'm not interested in this property management i'm getting out of here and then he climbs outside the window so that's it's um
0: determination
1: <laughs> yeah determination <laughs> so it can seem a little bit extreme but at least mentally we can try and like push ourselves that that little bit further so i thought that was really nice yeah. Yeah, and then cool. um and then of course uh we can't imitate Nartam's ecstatic feelings but um
0: well it's not every day you have lojitanya enter into your
1: body <laughs> <laughs> i don't think that's it's just happened the once right it, it has- yeah it's
0: a very unique thing that i don't think uh, there's, I haven't heard any other story of um, our previous achars who had something so specific like this happen.
1: One story does come to mind, but I can't remember their names. What's that devotee from Ambika Umbik- Kalna, where they have the Gorni Thai deities? And um, it's kind of like Banki Bihari, where they close the curtains every couple of minutes.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that's because the deities walk off the altar, right? <laughs> Stay with them open.
1: <laughs> what was his name? I think the disciple was uh Hida Chaitanya. Is it oh. Mm. oh my god. We need to research that because it's such a great story. Oh, um, I love that
0: story. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I can't get I can't remember his name.
1: Okay. i, w- I was wondering, um if Padma or Leela wanted to read a little bit, can you guys hear us? Um, Leela, how's your internet connection? Hmm. Anyway, she might not be here. Okay.
0: Give me more, a few minutes, Balram, and then I don't mind to read a little bit.
1: Okay, awesome. Thank you, Padma. Krishananda's face was pale and drawn. I tried, he said tears welling up in his eyes. I tried my best to give him everything to make him happy to keep him away from the river. Um, Just as a note, when Das Dasataka was born, the astrologer said, don't take him to the river because that will change his life. Um, So that's what's referred here. Now to see his pathetic condition. I cannot bear to see my son like this. He heaved a deep sigh and looked at his wife we can only pray he will be all right Nartam continued to cry incessantly all the next day and his worried parents continued to watch over him helplessly krishnananda tried to tell Nartam that the exorcist what the exorcist had said Nartam, however only laughed Do you think you can cure me by killing an animal to make medicine? Ooh, now we know what the jackal oil is. Um, Please do not commit this sinful act out of blind affection for me. Oh, Peter, can't you understand? I'm not hunted by a ghost. I have no disease. I'm feeling intense love for the Supreme Lord. This is what makes me cry. Um, krishnananda and narayani looked at each other blankly they had never seen anyone behave like this before they were simple pious people but they knew nothing about the exalted states of extreme devotion to god his parents stepped out of Naratam's room to talk i believe Naratam is telling us the truth krishnananda said Perhaps he is not haunted by a ghost. Perhaps he had some sort of extraordinary mystical experience when he went to the Padmavati the other night. That would account for why he can't think of anything else. I think the golden boy he speaks of is Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But but he's just a child, Narayani sobbed. What kind of religious experience could a young boy have? She wrung her folds of her sari in desperation, crying. What are we going to do? Oh, what are we going to do? Krishnananda shook his head. I don't know, but I think he will be all right in time. Go now and rest. I will stay with him. Despite these reassuring words to his wife, Raja Krishnananda sat silently, Tormented by the remembrance of the ominous words of the astrologer spoken so many years ago. Rivers are dangerous for your boy. I can just picture how much they're freaking out here, like their little child is like going nuts. (laughs) Naraini was beside herself. For days, she wanted Naratam, she watched Naratam cry incessantly. Nothing she said or did made any difference. She begged him, Nartam, please tell us how we can help you. We cannot understand what has happened to you. Why are you crying in such a pathetic way? Nartam was sad to see his parents distress. He loved them and didn't want to hurt them. But he knew he was no longer their little Naru. He had been touched by the love of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and would never be the same. He couldn't stop the tears of love of God that constantly welled up in his eyes. He tried to reveal his heart to his distraught mother. Mata, if you really want to help me, then let me go to Vrindavan and dedicate my life to the Supreme Lord's service. That's the only medicine for my disease. Let me go to Vrindavan and become healthy. Narayani was shocked. She grabbed hold of her son and cried. Don't even think of such a thing. You can love God here in your own home. We would rather drink poison than live without you. Do not speak about this anymore. Do not even think of such a thing. Singh his mother states, Narayani said no more about it. He simply asked for something to eat and fell silent. By the time Nartam had finished eating, Krishnananda had returned home for the day. Nartam thought his father might be more understanding. What can I do, Pita? Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has entered my body and transformed my mind. I can no longer stay here. I must go to Vrindavan. And then Nartam was again overcome with ecstatic emotions. Crying and shivering, he called out, go Ranga, then fell to the ground unconscious. Krishananda cradled his son's limp body in his arms and until Nartam's eyes fluttered open, tears rolled down his cheeks as he spoke softly to Nartam. My son, why do you keep on talking about going to Vrindavan? It's not necessary for you to go anywhere to lead a spiritual life. Everything you can do in Vrindavan, you can do here. We eat only prasad in this sas. We listen to Shastric discourses. The Supreme Lord is here in our home as the Shalagram Shila. Why don't you dedicate your life to his service right here? What's the problem? I think that's that's a really good point, isn't it? <laughs> Nartam sat up and looked lovingly at his father. Yes, Peter, what you say may be true, but I'm not content simply following the family traditions and rituals. Ooh. I don't want to live a comfortable life. Um, I don't want to live a comfortable, pious life of sense enjoyment. That is only the skeleton of our religion. There's no soul in it. Hmm. Without elevation to Christian consciousness through the mercy of Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda, life is simply spoiled in the animal propensities of sense gratification. I want to dedicate my entire life to the mission of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I want to give myself. Um, Do you want to um, unpack that, uh, Rasa, a little bit? That is that is only the skeleton of our religion.
0: Oh, well, as far as I understand, like, it's very easy to fall into this sort of like trap of feeling like, you know, I spend some of my day doing some Christian conscious things and I can have my material enjoyment on the side, right. <laughs> but it's very easy to be comfortable, become very comfortable like that. And you don't really make quick progress in spiritual life by being comfortable materially, (laughs) you know? I mean, not that it is a bad thing because it it just simply would take longer, you know? Whereas you see anyone that has done anything um, truly like great in the movement or become a pure devotee or, you know, manifested the symptoms, you know, obviously, Naraton's already impured already, but he's in his journey that we're reading, you see that those kind of people are always pushing for more and always have this drive to try harder and try now, not later. (laughs) You know, so like there's nothing wrong with sitting at home and, you know, Following your family traditions and you know serving Krishna that way, but it might take you more lifetimes to get back to Godhead than if you you know dedicated everything and and if you see even in the early days of the movement, like when people joined, that's what they did. They gave up everything and they spent you know 24/7 doing service, and that was how the movement was spread. I mean, you know, it wouldn't have happened if you know, like say, nowadays, the way that, like, say, our generation, we kind of, you know, we, we like to do our thing, but we also like to do other things, too, you know? So, like, you imagine how much longer it would have taken for ISKCON to, you know, spread all over the world. It just wouldn't have been possible. So, you see, like, there's certain personalities that have this drive to, I mean, geez, if Prabhupada had had that mentality, I'll just sit in run and do my own service, you know, then, like, there would be no ISKCON. So I, it's definitely like one of the key things that you see in all our like acharyas or any you know even now nowadays any anyone that is doing like a lot of preaching and uplifting of other people you see it's because they have this drive to try harder and do more, not just like the bare minimum. What are your thoughts on that.
1: I really like those points and it reminds me, I, I think out of the whole two hour um, Q&A we had with your mom last week, that the one thing that really stood out for me was you can't, no one gets anywhere in life by casual practice. Yeah. She, she gave this the uh, example of sports. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just tuning into Kadambakanana Swami's class during Radhidesh Mellas. He gave a really great class for those of you that haven't listened to it. Um he was speaking about, anyway, he spoke a lot about a lot of things, but he sort of ended the the class by saying that there is that special mercy when when you take up in in your words the, the, the preaching of Lord Chaitanya. In my words, I would say sharing Krishna to, you know, when you when you give Krishna to someone, then Krishna wants to give himself to you Uh, sometimes the word preaching can be a bit daunting it's like oh i don't i don't want to be preached at or i don't want to preach to anyone but um you literally just like change the word to sharing and then it's like the exact same thing um and yeah it's there's something special about that and even in in practical terms when you're teaching uh like i've been teaching merdanga uh, to little kids for a couple of years now, and it's nice to um, to just recap everything I've learned to teach it to someone else, and that's the real test. It's like, okay, now I have to actually know this. I can't just yeah. pretend yeah. to go by. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that's what they say. Best way to learn something
1: is to teach it. Hmm. Yeah. So we're we're putting ourselves in the spot here with this book club. I hope actually a bit of mercy.
0: <laughs> I was always, I was always finding interesting how like especially like my mom was saying you know the um like you look at sports people anyone who's you know top of their field or whatever and like the amount of dedication and things that they put work that they put into it. I've always found it interesting that like those kind of people are like in the material sphere they're all worshipped you know like. But, you know, say like someone who's a top racer or track runner or something like the amount of crazy like training that they do and like the diet and everything is so extreme. But people look at that and they think, wow, yeah, that's amazing. And they like really worship that. But then if you have that same drive in a spiritual sphere, then all of a sudden people are like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're a fanatic, you know, (laughs) it's interesting how as soon as it's like. A spiritual thing, it becomes fanaticism. Whereas if it's in a material sphere, it's a it's a great thing. And it's amazing that oh wow, look at you, you're willing to not eat, you know, so that you can be skinny or you know be fit or whatever it is. But if you're like doing your delicatessen, it's oh prabhu, don't be so fanatic. <laughs> you know, this is just an interesting um, way of viewing <laughs> viewing the world that a lot of people seem to have. But I mean, why not? You know, like if we if we put that same amount of like work that other people put into their fields, you know, into our spiritual life, we'd probably all be pure devotees by now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking as an encouragement for those that do want to take it up a little bit more seriously. I think in the beginning that's true that people will um will definitely reject you and be like, oh. Is this just a show or he or are they actually doing this seriously? Or in, in that can even be Krishna's mood in the beginning. It's like, oh, why is he really doing this? Is he is he trying to get out or is she trying to get something out of this? Um, but I, I think it pays off over time. Like I I don't think anyone's ignoring say Indraduna Swami or something like that. Everyone's really enthusiastic to see his determination in christian consciousness
0: <laughs> yeah for sure
1: but um yeah okay um padma are you ready or should i continue
0: anyway. you can continue while I'm. your voice is so sweet <laughs>
1: well, you skipped the.
0: you skipped the sentence there you down. yeah because you look you highlighted where you're
1: I want to dedicate my
0: entire life to Mahavra, we were just about to read
1: that bit. Oh, did I? Okay. I thought I'd finish it. Where are we? Let me just read it from the top. Mm -hmm. Yes, Peter, what you say may be true, but I am not content simply following the family traditions and rituals. I don't want to live a comfortable, pious life of sense enjoyment. That is only the skeleton of our religion. There's no soul in it. Without elevation to Krishna consciousness through the mercy of Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda, life is simply spoiled in the animal propensities of sense gratification. I want to dedicate my entire life to the mission of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I want to give myself completely to him, mind, body and words. To me, only that is real life. Everything else is death. I was just reminded again by the um, animal propensities of sense gratification of Indra when he becomes a pig.
0: Oh, that is a great story.
1: <laughs> Do you want to quickly tell it?
0: No, you go ahead. You brought
1: it up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um. I think Prabhupada often makes this point in in his uh, commentaries and also in his classes that animals and humans they're they're basically the same. We're all animals in terms of eating, sleeping, mating, defending. All these are the things that we have in common. And in fact, as an animal, it's probably better. Uh, it's a better life in terms of enjoyment. And Indra had that experience when he was being chased by death personified. He hid in the body of a pig. Um, and when Brahma and, and the demigod said, hey, you're out of trouble now. Like you can come back to your post of um, being the, the king of heaven. Um, Indra was like, I'm actually having a great time here. <laughs> um, because of the... I guess the, the lower grade of consciousness where anything is um, enjoyable for a pig, even stool. Whereas, whereas I guess as Indra, he might've been like, oh, there's too much sugar in that r- sweet rice. Like it, it has to be a little bit more refined, but for a pig, anything goes. So in that sense, there's more enjoyment uh, as an animal. So that, that's what I was thinking. But um, Nartam, um has realized at a very young age that he doesn't want to be just a pig in his life. <laughs> he wants to um, get out of his comfort zone, like he said, and uh, and enjoy our, what real life has to offer, which is a little bit more, um, which has a little bit more depth. I think. What What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's the one thing that separates us from living animal life, isn't it? But Prabhupada said the ability to uh, be detached and to do austerities uh, for a higher purpose and like to raise your consciousness because, as an animal, you cannot raise your consciousness. Your consciousness, you're either in your know, rajas or tamas, and that's it. You know, and you don't. <laughs> have the capacity to want
1: more than that. Mm. Okay, so continuing, don't think it is easy to live like a sadhu, Nara, Krishnanda said, it is a very, very austere life. You are a prince, you could never live like a sadhu. It is not in your nature. Of course, It is a nice idea to leave everything to become a follower of Mahaprabhu. I would also like to join his mission, but Naru, we must also be responsible. We have our own duties to perform. We are the patrons of so many Vaishnavas here in Katori, and they look to us to feed, clothe, and protect them. Don't you think Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would be pleased if you cared for his devotees? I think this is something very relatable to anyone that's wanting to like join the ashram or like serve in some capacity i think every parent has said this (laughs) did your did your parents ever say anything like this when you joined um gurudev's tour oh no Oh, You've got My good parents. parents. Were like get out.
0: You should learn what it was like in the sixties when we joined. he <laughs> <It's gone.
1: laughs> <laughs> Nice. Norton fell silent. His parents would never understand. He wondered whether Vrindavan would forever remain an unattainable dream. As he wandered, his throat tightened and tears welled up in his eyes, spilling over into the torrential crying that his love for God evoked in him. Krishnananda now knew his son's intense determination to leave home was greater than ever. He gave the guards a firm order. Watch my son 24 hours a day. Do not let him out of your sight for even a minute entering the adjoining room he sank onto a cushion next to narayani well i've done it he said his voice tired and worn i've hired strong men to keep a constant watch on narita he let out an anguished sigh i hate to do this to our own son but i'm afraid if we don't do something drastic He'll run away and become a an renunciate. We must protect him. He's naive. He doesn't know how difficult it is to live like a sadhu. He also doesn't realize he can't live without him. We can't live without him. Naraini chewed her lip nervously. Gods, guards are no guards, she thought. I will have to, no peace of mind. Um, said, it's your turn. But I just have one request for everyone. Um, we've got about 20, yeah, 22 minutes left. If by the end of the session you could just put in the chat your favorite Nartam Das Thakur song so that we can pick one at every uh, reading day, that would be really great.
0: Uh-huh. Nartam could see how desperate his parents were to keep him in Ketu, and he couldn't see a solution to this problem. He could not be cured of the love God had placed in his heart. All he could do to ease the situation was to try to behave like an obedient son and to trust Krishna to make an arrangement for him to somehow get to Vrindavan. Seeing Nartam's changed behaviour, how he didn't cry nearly so much and especially how he no longer spoke of becoming a Sadi. His parents were relieved, but they didn't realize their home had become like a prison for him and that he still constantly longed to be free. He said nothing more to them of Vrindavan, yet he had waited his opportunity to leave. He knew it would come some, somehow." That's interesting, this bit reminds me of, um, what is it that advice Lodgitanya gave to who was it or somebody who uh about how um you know if a uh, a wife has a paramour she keeps she does all her duties at home very well and but in turn you should do all your material things you know execute all your material <laughs> activities that you have to do you know for your family or whatever but internally you should always be meditating on krishna arham automatically doing that there he realizes okay i need to like <laughs> on the surface that look like i'm you know listening to my parents and doing my duties as a good son but internally he's still he's just waiting for krishna to give him that opportunity <laughs> to go to ramana
1: Sorry about that, I just lost my internet connection, so I'm going <laughs> to come to the living room. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I think that was a really good point. Um, I think that was Rupa Goswami. Was it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, we lost our... Book? Yes. <laughs> I was lucky
1: that I I got back in.
0: (laughs) Okay. Nights were especially difficult for Naratan. Unable to control his distress, he was not able to sleep. Sometimes he paced impatiently in his room or pleaded for the Lord's help. Raising his arms, he begged, my dear Lord, please be merciful to me. Who can be more merciful than your Lordship within these three worlds? sorry you came just to reclaim the fallen conditioned souls you will not find a more fallen soul than me therefore please place my claim first oh lord Garanga, nittai advaita please let me serve you next part escape one night nartham lay on his bed thinking how much longer can I go on secretly worshipping the Lord in my room at night? When will Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu give me his mercy? When will I be able to live with his devotees in Vrindavan? Eventually Narottam fell into a fitful dream-filled sleep. In his dream, he saw the gorgeous golden form of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Narottam stared in astonishment at his exquisite moonlike face beautiful curling black hair adorned his shoulders, vividly colored garlands draped around his neck and his petal soft hands rested gracefully near his knees. When Narachan's eyes met Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's infinitely deep loving gaze, he thought his heart would explode. Overcome with emotion, he fell at the Lord's feet. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gently placed his foot on Naruttham's head and said, don't worry about anything. I have made plans for you to carry out. Go straight to Vrindavan. There you will be initiated by my dear devotee Lokanath. He will pour the nectar of the holy name into your ears. Then without warning, the Lord disappeared. Nartam woke up, gripped by the intense feelings of separation from his beloved. Full of anguish, he beat his fist into his pillow and cried, why? Where are you, my lord? He felt that without his lord, he was enveloped in darkness within and without. He tossed and turned on his bed, his heart burning with grief. Over many hours, he calmed and eventually fell back asleep. Once more, the lord appeared to him in his dream. But this time, he stood on the bank of the Ganges in Navar, surrounded by Nityananda Prabhu, Advaita Acharya, Gadadhar Pandit, and Srivastagot. There were many other devotees there too, but Nartam didn't recognize them. All of them were dancing and chanting ecstatically. It seemed to Nartam that the entire population of Navadi had swarmed onto the riverbank, e- eager to get a glimpse of this divine pastime. Nartam could even see Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva and other demigods and goddesses in disguised forms walking among the people and straining to catch a glimpse of the extraordinary Sankirtan. Even animals and birds looked on with wide eyes, captivated by the beautiful sea. To his astonishment, Narutam was not merely to be a spectator of this extraordinary scene; Rather, he was allowed entrance into it, and he found himself again at the Lord's lotus feet. Narutam fell to the ground, weeping in disbelief and joy. Chaitanya gently lifted him and embraced him. Nartam felt his heart melting such exchanges of love. The Lord's embrace seemed timeless, and Nartam wished it would never end. As Lord Chaitanya finally withdrew his arms from Nartam's shoulders, Nartam began to uh, second, sorry. What happened? Sorry, my computer threw up some pop-ups and <laughs> I <laughs> okay. blocked my screen. Um, where was I?
1: Um, began to fall again, I think.
0: Okay. Yes. Um, as Lord Chaitanya finally withdrew his arms from Naratan's shoulders, Nartam began to fall again. Other devotees, however, caught him in their arms, also warmly embracing him. Many encouraged him to go to vrindavan without delay. For a second time that evening, Narasim awoke. He lay on his bed, crying with joy. He now had a full confirmation of what he what to do next. He would go to Vrindavan soon. He just had to wait for the right moment. A few days later, a horseman arrived at the palace with a message for the king. Krishnananda frowned as he read its contents. What is it, Prabhu? Narayani asked with concern. It's from the Nawab. He's heard about Naratam. Naraini raised her eyebrows. What does that mean? Krishnalanda put down the letter and took a deep breath. Well, it seems Naratam's unusual behavior has drawn attention. He looked at Naraini with concern. He says he wants to meet Naratam. Naraini nearly fainted at the thought. No, she cried. Krishnananda sat back in his chair, his face solemn and pale. The very idea of Nartam leaving them disturbed him. What can we do? he whispered. Although I am considered the king here, I am only allowed to govern at the pleasure of the Muslim rulers. I am their servant. If I don't do as they ask, there may be trouble. He leaned forward and touched Naraini's hand to reassure her. Don't worry. I will send a convoy of armed guards to protect Narutam. Narayani looked mildly relieved. She closed her eyes and sighed a reluctant agreement. When Krishnananda told his son about the trip, Naratam knew this was the chance he'd been waiting for. The next day, numerous guards assembled in front of the palace with a palanquin ready for the journey. Narutam lightly stepped into his palanquin apprehending that his freedom was finally at hand. Naraini was on the verge of tears. She pulled her son tightly to her chest. Hurry home, Naru, she said, her voice choked. Then she kissed him on the cheek. When you return, we shall begin preparations for your marriage. Naraton smiled sweetly at his mother. Don't worry, I'll be back soon. The procession headed north, passing through one village after another. Narutam watched intently from his palanquin, waiting for the right moment to escape. When the convoy stopped the first evening, Narutam couldn't sleep. He was anxiously waiting for midnight. At the appointed hour, he slipped silently from his bed. Creeping slowly through the camp, he saw that even the watchmen were asleep. Not such an unusual occurrence in India. can see it's been dating a tradition that dates back many hundreds of years. (laughs) This was his chance. His heart was pounding so loudly he felt sure he would wake the guards. Sweat streamed from his forehead. He hardly dared even to breathe. Once he had cleared the camp, he crept through the dense underbrush and then stepped stood up in a forest. Narutam then ran like lightning through the jungle maze. Nothing now would stop him from finding his way to the holy land of Vrindavan. As the sun slowly arched through the sky, Nartam ran without a pause, oblivious to the intense heat. Sweat soaked his clothes and his throat was parched, but he forced himself to continue, his mind focused on one thought only, Vrindavan. Despite the intense physical strain, Nartam's heart overflowed with joyful, ecstatic love days passed.
1: Can I ask a question? Yes. Do we know why um, um, the Nawab wanted Narutam to come to his uh, palace?
0: think oh, She said because uh, he'd heard about Narutam's strange behavior. So he was curious. Uh,
1: okay. So, to so he prince thought
0: that was <laughs> behaving so weird.
1: Interesting. Okay. And this was straight after Lord Chitani appeared in the uh, Nartam's dream right so he might have even arranged that probably (laughs) Mm yes nice sorry to interrupt
0: still Nartam ran never daring to rest for more than an hour or two at a time one late afternoon he flopped down utterly exhausted under a tree he turned his head sharply at the snapping of a twig in the nearby bushes someone was coming he stood to run, but it was too late. He was surrounded by his father's hired guards. Ah, Rajkumar, one of them called out. We have found you at last. Another scolded. Do you realize that hundreds of men have been scoring the countryside for days looking for you? You must return to at once. Your parents are sick with anxiety. Another said, when your poor mother heard you had run away, she fainted. All the men nodded in disapproval at the distress Nartam had caused his parents. Nartam was genuinely sorry he had hurt them, but he knew he could not go back. He said gently, I cannot return to catering with you. I am firmly resolved to go to Vrindav. I am dedicating my life fully to the Supreme Lord. Forget this madness, the senior man among them protested. It's not fitting for a prince to behave like, vagab- like a vagabond. Naratam replied, on the contrary, it would not be fitting for me to return to Kateri. A faithful widow may decide to join her husband on his funeral pyre. I have decided to climb the pyre of pure Krishna consciousness and leave my material life behind. It's not right for you to try to dissuade me. Raj Kumar, we cannot return without you. What will your father say to us? Another man pleaded. Please forget all of this and come home with us. Give life back to your suffering parents. Nartam was not daunted. He smiled sweetly and said, when a woman wants to show her devotion to her dead husband in this extreme way, it's natural for her well wishes to try to stop her. I understand you don't want me to enter the fire of God consciousness but please understand that I would be less than a faithful servant of my lord if I didn't attempt to enter that fire." Moved by Narutam's poetic analogy, the men on the search party stared at his charming golden face. What could they say to this determined young boy? He was obviously not an ordinary person, and his resolution was clearly unshakable. Without even bidding the men goodbye, Narutam turned and resumed his journey. He was confident the men would be afraid to stop him since he had made it clear his path was the one of saints. And he was right. No one even called out a farewell. Narutam walked on and on, not knowing how much further he had to go to reach Vrindavan. He was exhausted and hungry, and his palace soft feet were blistered. His entire body ached with his exertion, but his attraction to Vrindavan pulled him forward. Though alone, he realized he wasn't lonely. Being fully immersed in thoughts of and Mahaprabhu, he felt the Lord himself was his travel companion. After many days of traveling, he was finally overtaken completely by fatigue. Dropping to his knees, he crawled for a short distance and then collapsed between, beneath a tree and fell asleep. Nartam awoke with, a short while later Despondent, he beat the ground with his fists and lamented. Oh, Gorachandra, Rupa, Sanatana, will I ever reach Vrindavan?
1: I'm just thinking of that thing that I shared last week with your mom about how, yeah, I love going on hikes, and mm-hmm. I, I always make sure uh, my phone's fully charged with Google Maps. I've got two burgers, a couple of protein bars, a bottle of water. Uh, and I have a rough idea of, of where I'm going. Um, most of the time, sometimes I get lost and it's nice as well. But Nartam had nothing, n- not even shoes. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like how did he yeah. know where Brindavan was?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, and not only did he not have shoes, he's like used to walking around in, on marble floors and probably not walking very far either.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah. it's interesting how like he just ran in some direction. I mean, I guess he had some sort of idea whether it was north, south, east or west, which way Renarvin was. But yeah, I mean, it's not like he's on roads, he's in the jungle. So he would have been just running and hoping that he was going the right way. You know, it must have been very like...
1: Do you think he spent a couple of weeks in his dad's library looking at maps and then like, you know, just like planning the whole thing.
0: Possibly, possibly if they, yeah, if, I, if they had, you know, such detailed maps back then, I don't know, it's probably more of a vague thing or, you know, like if you're on the roads, I think there was, you know, much more um, surety of where you're going if you're following a road, but if you're in the middle of the jungle, even if you've looked at a map, you're kind of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because he's going from um, like Bangladesh, basically, all the way to Vrindavan, which is the opposite side of India. So, I mean, to fly from Kolkata to Delhi is a you know, two and a half hour flight, something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so walking, running all the way, even further, actually, because he's coming from Bangladesh. I mean, that's an incredible journey. The amount of and, yeah, determination, not having enough to eat and being cold at night and <laughs> without anything. Yeah, geez.
1: What um, does the village of Keturi exists? Like if I type that out? Yes, on.
0: yes. We one
1: Ketura, West Bengal, is that it? No, it's in Bangladesh. Oh, um, Keturi, Katuri Dam godagari bangladesh so if you went by car it would take 26 hours and if you go walking um it doesn't say how much time it, oh, it actually does uh let me just actually screen share that this is fun information for the book club so 257 hours i guess that's walking straight you got in and on a,
0: road. <laughs> on a road, yeah. <laughs> not running through the jungle, but yeah. yeah. I mean, look at the distance. It's I mean, that's incredible
1: 1268 kilometers. Wow, yeah. And
0: it's not like you packed a bag, you know, before he just got out and ran. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, so and I wonder, like, people maybe. Didn't know what Vrindavan was. So he had to just ask, okay, where's Bihar? Then where's Gaia? Where's um, Kanpur? Ah, I recognize Lucknow. Yeah. Hmm. At least it wasn't like Dwarka on the other side of it. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like a halfway point. Wow. Okay. Should we continue?
0: Quite a journey. Um, yeah, let's just finish that little section. Hmm. Seemingly from nowhere, a golden-skinned brahmana boy suddenly appeared before him and offered him a pot of milk. Drink this, the boy said. It will take away your aches and pains. Nartan lifted his weary head to look at the boy, but he was much too tired to drink the milk. Again, sleep overcame him. This time he had a vivid dream. Both Rupa Goswami and Sanatana Goswami appeared, Glowing with a natural effulgence, the two brothers stood before him wearing sacred threads, Tulsi Mala and beautiful Tila. Their lips were curved into gracious smiles and they chanted the holy names, counting the mantras on their fingers. Naratana could smell the sweet aroma of their bodies when they leaned over and placed their hands on his chest. Sri Rupa Goswami said, Naratam, you are still a child, and you are also the son of a wealthy man. You have never experienced this kind of suffering, but we know Mahaprabhu has empowered you to flood the world with love of God and deliver the fallen conditioned souls. If you distribute this love, even the most simple of men will be delivered. In the future, thousands and thousands of people will embrace Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings and thus attain love of God. So don't worry. Your suffering will soon end. Seeing you so tired from your journey, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu personally brought that milk for you. Drink it and then go to Vrindavan. With these words, Rupa and Sanatan vanished. Nartam awoke. He rubbed his eyes, staring at the earthen pot left on the ground before him. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu personally brought me this gift? Hardly able to believe his fortune, he carefully lifted the pot to his lips, afraid to spill even one drop. As he gulped down the sweet rich liquid, all his pain and fatigue disappeared. From head... He stood stronger than before. Feeling... uh, confident of his success, he resumed his journey. Narutam travelled, undauntedly now, along the main roads Deeply immersed in the, in intense feelings of separation from Lord Chaitanya and convinced of the Lord's protection. Sometimes he sang loudly and sometimes he softly spoke about Lord Chaitanya's glories to himself. At other times he simply called out, Go Ranga, while tears coursed down his cheeks. Narutam stir- caused a stir in every village he passed through. The villagers were spontaneously drawn to him. Then they would come out to stare as he passed. Who is this dust-covered lotus-eyed boy? He looks half mad, but he must be a sadhu. Who are his fortunate parents? The village women worried about him. Such a young sadhu. Look at his beautiful face and large eyes. He's obviously from a good family. Why is he wandering alone in the forest? I wonder how his parents are living without him. I cannot bear to see his beautiful body covered in dust. Some villagers eagerly served him, bringing him things to eat or offering him a bed for the night. But Narutam was so absorbed in the ecstasy of love that he barely ate and he spent most of his nights chanting the holy name, oblivious to his body's needs. Curious villagers often tried to stop him from leaving them in the morning, but each morning Narutam begged their leave and continued. He walked like this for weeks through village after village until he reached Varanasi and then Prayag coming ever closer to Vrindavan. And that is the end of that chapter.
1: <laughs> Jai. And I was tight. just having um, a couple of reflections. Uh, if anyone needs to leave, please do so but uh, I just thought I would share. Um, I was meditating on how Rupa Goswami also appeared to Srila Prabhupada at Radhadamadar temple mm. and how there was some sort of a prediction, right? Similar to Narutam Das Thakur where Lord Chaitanya was like, "Nartam's is going to continue my movement. I think both Nityananda Prabhu and Bhaktivinoda Thakur had a vision of an international community gathering in my poor chanting mm-hmm. and serving together, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some beautiful cemetery there. There are <laughs> modern more modern pastimes.
1: Yeah. And then the the other thing I was thinking about was the the cult how nice the culture of India is. Um, mm-hmm. I personally have experienced doing Madhukar in Vrindavan, just going house to house. Uh, I just call out Rade Rade and they come out with a a lot of um, thick Vrindavan rotis. Mm -hmm. Um, And how I've also had the experience here where I was doing some Amazon delivery a couple of months ago. And I went through this village that had no internet. And so I, I had no idea where I was or how to get to the next place. And I remember asking this family if I could use their Wi-Fi so that I could go back home. And they thought it was a really strange request, and they they basically like closed the door. I was like, these guys are so weird, like they can't <laughs> even help someone. Um, what to speak of of Nartam? They they were feeding him, offering him a place to sleep. So yeah,
0: that's one of the more beautiful things about the Indian culture is how like open, receptive people are, and you know they don't find it strange if you come and need help or it's automatic for them just like they see like they would have seen him wandering here it's not like Nartam was doing Madhukari I mean as it says here he forgot about eating and sleeping but they saw him and they brought him inside and <laughs> gave him something to eat tried to convince him to stay longer I mean it's amazing it's such a beautiful like part of the Vedic culture that like respect and help that's afforded to like sadhus or you know, anyone that's trying to practice spiritual
1: life. Yeah, I think Prabhupada's father used to open the door and, and scream out, Is anyone yes. hungry, right? <laughs>
0: yes, every lunch. Anyone hungry? And then you feed them until they're full and then you eat afterwards. <laughs> and he would he would also on top of that bring about four or five sadhus in to like give prashadam to and some charity as well, like, every day.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's why Prabhupada was a bit wary of sadhus, right? When his yes. friend was like, come meet Bhakti Siddhanta, and he's like, nah, I've met I've met too many sadhus. <laughs> sadhus. Yeah, the ones that are
0: doing it more for a business than yeah. spirituality.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess um I guess that culture can only exist if on the giving end you have to have that open heart and that charitable mood. But then on the receiving end, those sadhus shouldn't be taking advantage, so they shouldn't be asking for more than they need, etc. So yeah. that that keeps that flowing.
0: Well, what's the? I mean, there's the different types of begging, right? What mardukari is specifically like three houses, right? You go only to three houses, and whatever you get from those three houses, you take. And if you don't get anything from them, then you don't have anything for that day. So there's like there's quite a few, right? Different types of. Um, Begging that different sannyasis do. Mardikari is just one one of those times, right?
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: So if you're a legit <laughs> doing it for legit reasons, then you actually be following it. You know, this is what I've gotten for today, and that's <laughs> that's all. None of this like, oh, give me some more and some more. Look, you have so much. How about you give me a little bit more? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um... Luckily, India has that mood of, like, continually feeding you. Like, what what's that restaurant in Kolkata? There's, it's it's in a temple. I think it's a Vishnu uh, temple or something. What was it called?
0: The Lakshmi ryan Temple.
1: Yes, yes. So many good memories. So, um, you you just pay like a flat fee, and it and they just continue serving you, right? and they hmm. they do it according to like the bengali etiquette of eating so they'll continue serving you sabjis and chapatis until you're done like once you're finished with that then they start serving you rice and then you just do that again <laughs> yeah, yeah it's so good
0: yeah even when you get invited to like houses you know bengali devotees houses and they like if you you need a leaf plate, like leaf plates are there so that you can fold them when you're done, because they don't listen to you. They're like, no, no, take more, take more. So you actually have to like close your plate and like hold it up in the air. <laughs> I'm too full for more. But it's a really beautiful exchange. Like, um, every nobody in Parikram, there was there was a um, Bengali family in Vidyanagar that would invite the proper disciples and senior devotees for prasadam, <laughs> and they would do this, they just Feed and feed and feed until you are like, gonna die, and you like really have to beg them to stop giving you more prashad.
1: <laughs> What's that temple as well? Um, uh, you know the the pastime of the devotee that Lord Chaitanya was like, you need to initiate someone, and then he uh, went to the Ganga, and he was like, the first person I see, I'm going to initiate, and then there's this oh, um, um, um... body floating
0: Sarangamurari,
1: anyway, um, he's that temple. Yeah, it's my um, Vrindavan Das Thakur's home as well, I think.
0: Yeah, right next door.
1: And and there's that um, hollow tree, uh, said to be an owl inside or something, or was it a snake? Anyway.
0: Uh that I don't remember. But they know the tree was embraced by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He got hit by lightning and died, and then it was embraced by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and came back to life.
1: Every time you go to that temple, there's uh, I don't know if the Pajari is still there. But he was really old last time I was there. He was like 70 or 80. And like he, he had like this hunchback. Um, and, and you just come to visit expecting to just like maybe do a round there and then, you know, go back. But he every single time without fail, he would be like, wait. <laughs> and he'd go to the kitchen and cook up a feast and then serve us. It was just such a sweet exchange. Like he, yeah, he, he was so old that we wouldn't expect him to cook like an eight course feast for us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a very beautiful part of the culture. I mean, you see even Prabhupada was very insistent that anyone who came to visit got some form of prasadam, even if it was just a couple pieces of fruit. Anyone that came to visit, see him or like talked to him, they went away with some prasadam or, and he was always very insistent that in Eastern temples, Anyone that comes in should be given prasadam before
1: they leave. Yeah, okay. So uh, we do have a song for today, or or should we read it out first thing next? uh, Let's do it first
0: thing next time.
1: It's nice to open. Okay. So I I think the first suggestion from Padmakshi was Hari Hari Bifale, which I think was Srila Prabhupada's favorite song as well, right? So that would be nice. Um any closing words, Rasa? Anything you wanted to? Well, I
0: think
1: I've spoken enough today. <laughs> <laughs> um thank you so much everyone. Leela, Vandan, Yubraj, Harikirtan, Padma as well. Yeah, oh, Talibur. Thank you. Thank you all for joining and we'll see you on Thursday at the same time, same place. Ready bow. <laughs>